Welcome to Above Avalon. This is episode 136, The Unit Sales Crutch. Hi, I'm Neil. These past few weeks flew by in the world of Apple. We had, of course, the company holding a product event in Brooklyn, so we had updates to the iPad Pro and a few new Macs. Apple released earnings. I thought expectations heading into this most recent earnings report were somewhat elevated, but Apple had a surprise or two for the market. We're going to talk about one of those surprises in today's episode. And of course, we have new products. There's the iPad Pro models that are out. We have the iPhone XR that has been out for a few weeks. There are a number of reports coming out of the iPhone supply chain suggesting something is going on. A lot of people think it's issues with iPhone demand. I tend to think there is more to the story. We'll talk a little bit more about that at the end of the episode. But in today's episode, I want to go back to Apple's earnings. The results that Apple reported were impressive. And when looking at revenue guidance for this upcoming first quarter 2019, the holiday quarter, it looks like Apple's going to have its best quarter ever. But the main takeaway from this most recent earnings release had nothing to do with those items. It had nothing to do with the number of iPhones Apple sold, how the Apple Watch did, how guidance was a little bit lower or higher than certain estimates. Instead, there was something that management said on the conference call that shocked Wall Street. It probably is safe to say it spooked a lot of people as well. And these comments came at the end of the prepared remarks. Beginning with the new fiscal year, fiscal year 2019, Apple was going to have four new financial disclosure changes. The first, unit sales data for iPhone, iPad, and Mac will no longer be provided. The second disclosure change, gross margin data will begin to be broken out by services and products, another way of saying products is hardware. The third change, revenue corresponding to the amortization of the deferred value of bundle services, so that's like Maps, Siri, Free iCloud, that will shift from products to services. That same reclassification will also apply to the costs that are associated with delivering the bundled services. This is just another way of saying that the way Apple accounts for certain revenue will change. It will move from being bundled as hardware into being bundled as services. It really isn't that big of a deal. The impact amounts to less than 1% of Apple's overall revenue. However, it is a useful item for financial analysts to take into account when they're modeling Apple going forward. And then the fourth financial disclosure change, the other products category will be renamed wearables, home, and accessories. And that name change reflects the category's primary revenue drivers, which of course are Apple Watch, AirPods, Apple TV, and also HomePod. Out of those four changes, all of the attention flowed to the first item. The fact that Apple will no longer provide unit sales data for iPhone, iPad, and Mac. The way Apple announced this news was equivalent to dropping a bomb on Wall Street. People were shocked. 
you could hear it in the voices of all the analysts that were on the call. It really did seem like they had no clue what was going on. They were trying to ask questions about the quarter, about Apple's upcoming quarter, but I'm sure they had the call going on in the background and their phone probably was off the hook with clients calling them, wanting to know, what did Apple just announce? What is driving this? Why would they no longer provide unit sales data for iPhone, iPad, and Mac? One of the first things I thought about after hearing this change on the call was how Apple handled the Apple Watch. If we go back to 2014, Apple management surprised many by announcing they were not going to disclose Apple Watch unit sales once the product went on sale the following year. And so similar to what happened in this most recent earnings call, a lot of people were surprised by that. They were shocked. The decision was interpreted by many outsiders as a sign that Apple didn't think too highly of Apple Watch. Management must not really have too lofty of expectations for this device. Maybe they don't think it's that big a deal. Well, fast forward four years. As it turned out, nothing could have been further from the truth. Apple's watch disclosure decision ended up foreshadowing this most recent announcement that it would no longer disclose iPhone, iPad, or Mac unit sales. A few hours after Apple reported earnings, you start to have all of the reports, all of the summaries from different analysts, different reporters on what Apple did, what Apple had just announced. And one of the themes was that people figured Apple management wants to hide something. That's why they announced this change. That's why they're no longer going to provide unit sales data. They must want to hide something really bad that's going to unfold in the coming quarters. There were other schools of thought, though. Others acknowledged Apple made the right decision here to move beyond unit sales, although it wasn't a great development from the perspective of public company disclosure. Apple management's decision to no longer disclose unit sales makes plenty of sense. It was becoming increasingly clear that unit sales weren't as useful of a metric for analyzing Apple's business now as it had been in the past. Unit sales data was providing a limited look inside the Apple machine. It was no longer telling us how Apple was really doing. We have three examples. Despite iPhone unit sales being mostly flat for the past three years, Apple expanded the iPhone install base by nearly 300 million users during the same time period. How was that possible? Well, there's two parts that make up iPhone sales. Sales to upgraders, also known as existing users, and sales to people new to the install base. And so while growth in terms of the number of upgraders slowed, the number of new users entering the install base continued to increase. The same thing occurred with the iPad. Despite annual iPad unit sales contracting by 40% from the sales peak in 2013, Apple was able to expand the iPad install base 
by more than 120 million users over the same time period. Another example was found with the Mac. Despite Mac unit sales trending flat, Apple has been able to add approximately 10 million new people to the Mac install base each year. Unit sales data just wasn't telling us the full picture. Instead, unit sales became a crutch for financial analysts. The quarterly numbers were telling us less about Apple's business and were instead providing a false sense of security to outsiders. As it turned out, unit sales were painting a less attractive picture of Apple's business fundamentals. In my view, the primary reason unit sales data lost much of its value is because of Apple's significant growth over the years. We can look at the iPhone install base. Currently, it exceeds 750 million people. And by the way, that's the conservative number. That's just accounting for people who bought an iPhone directly from either Apple or a third-party retailer. If you take into account all of the iPhones in the gray market, the total number of iPhone users in the wild, something that I call the user base, is much higher than 750 million people. Unit sales went from a measure of the market's reception to iPhone to a financial data point that was more likely to be misinterpreted than anything else. I think the same exact situation can be said about the iPad. The iPad install base is around 240 million people. And so when Apple would release unit sales data for iPad, it wasn't telling us what the market reception was for iPad. It's not like it was back in 2010 or 2011. Instead, unit sales data was masking improvement. This explains why you had some people look at unit sales and declare iPad as a dead end. They just saw years of unit sale declines. It gave off this impression that the iPad was almost a lost cause. In reality, it was the opposite. iPad fundamentals have been improving for years. The one area in which unit sales continued to prove valuable was deriving average selling prices. So because Apple gave us revenue totals and unit sales data, we were able to take those two numbers and derive the average selling price. However, given the growing impact the gray market is having on Apple's various product categories and these wider product price ranges that Apple's running with, even average selling price data has started to lose some of its value in analyzing business fundamentals. I think analysts are making a very big mistake and claiming Apple's decision to move away from unit sales means management wants to be more like a services company. You're hearing that a lot in recent days. People connecting no unit sales with must be services related, must, must be driven by something to do with services. Claiming Apple is a services company in 2018 is no different than claiming Apple was a hardware company 10 years ago. Both are incorrect. Apple is a design company focused on developing tools for people. These tools allow people to get more out of technology without having technology take over their lives. 
This leads to a simple but important realization. Apple has to continuously develop new tools that people want. This raises a question. Given such a mission, what's the best way to measure Apple's success and failure? Was it unit sales? Was it the number of new users? Management is painting a new long-term blueprint for how it wants Wall Street to judge Apple. Revenue and margins. So by having attention flow not just to revenue, but also gross margins, I think Apple ends up adding a very interesting twist to the financial disclosure debate. Revenue has been one of the most consistent metrics for determining how Apple is doing in the marketplace. Over at AboveAvalon.com, in this week's article, Apple Outgrew Unit Sales. In Exhibit 1, I graphed Apple revenue over the past eight years, and this is on a trailing 12-month basis. Despite years of unit sales volatility, Apple's revenue trends have been much smoother. The only hiccup in Apple revenue followed a surge in iPhone revenue back in 2014, and that was associated with the iPhone launching at China Mobile. So if you take out some of that impact, I think you're left with a pretty good view of how the Apple machine has performed over the past eight years. Now, management will continue to disclose iPhone, iPad, and Mac revenue going forward. So we're not moving to a point where we're not going to have any idea as to how these products are actually doing. We're not just going to get one line item that says hardware, and you get one total each quarter. You're going to get some data. You're going to get some granular data that you can go into and figure out how things are going. And I think it's difficult to see Apple not eventually disclose Apple Watch revenue, or at least wearables revenue, as sales continue to grow. However, revenue data by itself is unable to tell the full story. Management could juice near-term revenue by running with lower prices and margins in an attempt to grab market share. So that may boost near-term revenue at the expense of problems down the road. We can look at the opposite. Apple could be generating additional revenue by milking existing customers. They could be charging excessively high prices, higher margins. But that strategy contains various long-term risk when you're thinking about the health of the Apple ecosystem. This is where gross margins enter the picture. And I think this is very important to consider that a lot of people are ignoring or really just not giving a lot of attention to. Gross margin data allows outsiders to dive deeper into Apple revenue. Strong revenue growth combined with steady margins tell us that Apple isn't chasing market share with unsustainable pricing. Steady gross margins despite higher price products tell us that Apple isn't milking existing users of profit. Instead, Apple is running with higher prices to reflect all of the additional technology that's found in these new products. Gross margins add much-needed context to Apple revenue. 
Think about gross margin data. Historically, Apple has disclosed one overall gross margin figure for the entire business. Given the lack of disclosure detail, we were only able to reach a few general takeaways about Apple's gross margins. For example, with Apple's gross margins trending between 37 and 39%, and the fact that iPhone represents such a large portion of revenue, it's fair to assume iPhone margins are somewhere around 40%. Based on management commentary, Apple's services business has gross margins that exceed the company's overall margin. So that tells us that services gross margin exceeds 40%. My estimate was that services gross margin is more like in the mid-50s. And then the third one is based on management commentary, we know that Apple Watch gross margins were lower than the company's overall margin. So that tells us that watch margins are probably somewhere around 25 to 35%. I think it's a fair assumption that iPad and Mac have a similar margin profile. But at the end of the day, by just getting that one gross margin figure each quarter, well, it hasn't exactly told us a whole lot about all of the different moving parts that are driving gross margins. In Exhibit 2 in this week's weekly article, it basically, for the past couple of years, Apple's gross margin just looks like a horizontal line. It really hasn't moved much. Based on Apple's new margin disclosure, management will break out gross margins by hardware and services. We will be able to see whether or not Apple has been running with higher product margins to boost profits or merely to reflect higher component costs. I do think it's the latter. We're also going to get our first look at Apple's services margins. That's going to help decode the various services revenue growth drivers. For example, if services gross margin shot higher, we probably know maybe Apple is seeing a lot of licensing revenue. Maybe Apple is seeing better iCloud storage trends. In summary, providing more granular gross margin data is a big step forward from a financial disclosure perspective. This may sound crazy, but I think over time, People are going to agree that trading unit sales data for more granular gross margin data will prove to be more beneficial for analyzing Apple's business fundamentals. At this point, I want to address one school of thought that seemingly has picked up a little bit of steam given Apple's recent financial disclosure announcements. One way of thinking about all these changes is that Apple management is gradually moving towards providing completely new metrics, such as the number of users in the Apple ecosystem. Accordingly, Apple's success would be measured by tracking the total number of users and management's ability to monetize those users. So one way of doing this would be you take Apple revenue and divide the total by the number of users. So one can assume that a rising revenue per user metric would be viewed as a good thing, while a declining revenue per user metric would be viewed negatively. However, there are a few issues here that I think are important to consider. The first is, it's not sustainable. Unless Apple changes its pricing philosophy, the company will eventually begin to hit a ceiling when it comes to new user growth. And so that means the number of new users into the Apple ecosystem. 
Accordingly, why would Apple management elevate an unsustainable metric over the long run, especially since the company is moving away from unit sales given its unsustainable nature? It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. The second issue has to do with questions around usefulness. It's not entirely clear how useful revenue per user would prove to be for analyzing Apple. Unless Apple breaks down revenue per user by either hardware or services, the overall average won't tell us much about all the various moving parts. And then the third item is I think there's a bias towards services in this school of thought. So by focusing on revenue per user, I think there's an inherent bias to elevate services revenue, given its more predictable and steady nature. Now, one thing that Apple can do is instead of disclosing the number of users, say in 10 Qs or 10 Ks, they could give periodic updates about the install base or user base. For example, we got an announcement about the Mac install base reaching 100 million people. Last year, Apple had an announcement regarding the Mac user base, which again is a larger number. So maybe going forward, if certain products reach certain milestones, yeah, maybe Apple can announce that. Same thing could apply for unit sales. Maybe if Apple Watch has a really good quarter, Apple could say Apple Watch unit sales are up 50%. That's different than going back to what Apple used to do, and that is provide quarterly data, the specific unit sales number. It's tough seeing Apple do that with user data. If it does happen, I could see people begin to judge Apple based on the number of users it brings in every quarter, and I don't think management wants to go down that road. It it seems like it's just another version of this unit sales debate that Apple really wants to move past once and for all. The final topic that we'll cover today has to do with the big picture. What is the primary motivating factor here when it comes to Apple deciding which financial disclosures it should elevate going forward? In my view, the decision to elevate revenue and margins while moving past unit sales is Apple management's latest attempt to cement a new long-term narrative for the company on Wall Street. People love great stories, and Wall Street is all about narratives. A strong narrative allows a management team to navigate rough waters, while a weak narrative may result in depressed valuation multiples. Apple's inability to find a sustainable narrative has been a thorn in management's side for years. Apple's narrative problem was relatively straightforward. The key variables management focused on in earnings releases and conference calls weren't sustainable. So by placing an emphasis on unit sales, the inevitable slowdown in unit sales growth for its largest product categories posed a problem for Apple. Forcing Wall Street to move beyond unit sales and focus on revenue and gross margins isn't about driving home a services narrative for Apple shares. Instead, it's a big step in elevating a capital allocation narrative. We talked about this topic in detail Back in April, in episode 123, Apple's new Wall Street story, I'll include a link to that episode in the show notes. So certainly take a listen to that episode for a lot more information. In summary, Apple's story is 
about coming up with compelling tools that will then lead to strong revenue trends and margins, which will then support attractive free cash flow and consequently more cash for buyback and cash dividends. Now, of course, the opposite may be true as well. If Apple is not able to come up with compelling tools, you're going to see weaker product sales, a reduction in cash flow, and less cash for share repurchases and cash dividends. At the heart of this narrative is management's unique philosophy regarding how shareholder capital is used to generate future cash flows. Even though a lot of people have been writing this in recent months, or really recent years, Apple doesn't develop products to drive revenue. Many ideas are passed over to focus on a few really great ideas. That's why I think a narrative involving Apple's capital strategy, rather than any one story based on a particular product like iPhone or Apple Watch, will end up doing a better job of describing the company's design story. More importantly, a capital allocation narrative will be able to grow with Apple as the company evolves over time. If there's one thing that has become crystal clear about this company in recent years, it's that Apple isn't afraid to enter new industries. Apple is spending a lot of money today to begin building core competencies in areas that it's never played in before, areas that it doesn't have any expertise in. Of course, Apple has a history of doing this. We can look at the transition from iPod to iPhone. We can look at iPhone and iPad to wearables. If you're interested in grading how Apple is doing with this pursuit, is unit sales data really the most valuable piece of information? Probably not. Instead, what you're looking for is the byproduct of a successful product. What would that be? Revenue. Cash flow. Earnings. All of those metrics would reflect the process working. You're grading not just Apple on one thing. You're not just grading Apple with Apple Watch or iPhone. You're grading the Apple process. You're grading the Apple machine and its effectiveness at taking raw ideas, carefully guiding those ideas forward. Of course, you're going to have a lot of chaos <laughs> moving from one point to the other. New ideas, ideas dying. You're going to need that collaboration between teams. And then you get to a point where Apple begins selling a product. It's not that product development becomes any less important at that point. Instead, by being able to come up with updates and pushing that product forward, Apple is able to gradually suck all of the oxygen out of that market that it's playing in. Competitors begin to feel that pressure. Revenue and profit trends begin to show how Apple is grabbing control. What we're really talking about is the Apple machine. 
the processes that Apple relies on with a design-led culture to come up with tools that people love. So instead of having a narrative based on unit sales or the number of users or the ability to monetize users, I think a narrative that's focused on the Apple machine and Apple's ability to come up with tools that people love and then have that reflect through the income statement and eventually the balance sheet, I think that's Apple's best shot of maintaining a sustainable narrative on Wall Street. That's going to do it for today's episode. Even though it's been a few weeks since I published the last podcast episode, I have been busy publishing daily updates throughout the week. These updates cover everything that I think matters in the world of Apple. Each update's about 2,000 words and covers two to three stories. One broader theme that I have been focused on with recent daily updates is all of this chatter coming out of the iPhone supply chain. A number of iPhone suppliers have cut guidance due to order cuts, and this is causing a lot of people to think that iPhone demand is apparently falling off a cliff. And of course, given Apple's recent decision to no longer provide unit sales, I think that's just adding fuel to the fire. It's really causing people to have a big debate about the state of the iPhone. I think there's a lot more to this story. And I don't think the major publications out there the major financial news outlets are covering that story. And I went into all of this in this week's daily updates. It's, there is a lot of moving parts, I guess that's one way to say it. And so I go over my thoughts on what I think is really going on here. This is a prime example of something that I cover in the daily updates, usually over a number of days. So I think of it almost as an ongoing discussion. That way, when news breaks of another supplier cutting guidance, we can investigate that and see where the discussion heads from that point. I would also point out to those who are interested, I published my earnings review for Apple's fourth quarter 2018. There were two updates, one focused on the major themes, the other focused on my full notes. So we covered 23 different topics from Apple's earnings release and the conference call. We also went over the 10K that Apple released a few days after earnings. We covered 13 financial topics from there. So if you like the discussion that's found in this podcast episode and in the weekly articles over at AboveAvalon.com that are accessible to everyone, I think you would be interested in becoming an Above Avalon member and having access to these daily updates. While the daily updates represent the cornerstone of Above Avalon membership, there are other privileges and benefits. For example, members have access to my Apple earnings model. So this is a functioning, working earnings model that includes all of my forward projections. There is a forum, so you can chat with other Above Avalon members. There is an archive, so you can go back and read daily updates that were previously sent to members. And I'm also excited to launch a new product for Above Avalon members that are called Reports. Each report is 4,000 to 5,000 words, and it's focused on one topic. So these reports include a mix of data, analysis, and theory, and they're designed to have a long shelf life. So they're designed to be used as a reference by members in the future. 
And the interesting thing is that these reports are living documents. That means that they're going to receive periodic updates over time. So there's always going to be a current report. These are going to be published quarterly. It's four times per year. The first report has been published. It's Apple's leadership structure under Tim Cook and Johnny Ive. So I take a deep dive into how Apple is led. Access to reports is exclusive to above Avalon members, and they are available in the archives. You can go back and read previously published reports. For more information on membership and to become a member, head on over to AboveAvalon.com and then go to the membership page. There are two options. It's either $20 per month or $200 per year. Above Avalon is fully sustained by membership. So if you are already an Above Avalon member, thank you for your support. And if you are thinking about becoming an Above Avalon member, thank you in advance. And I give you a early welcome to the Above Avalon member community. With that, I will conclude today's episode. I will talk to you all next week.